0: This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by vision Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season two. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back Bill Schmazo, who is the customer advocate for data management innovation projects with Dell Technologies. So, Bill, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me again. I thought after the first time you'd like you'd have like the you know picture me on the on the wall with that you know circle <laughs> with a to it. Like no, no more schmarzos.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I think it was always going to happen, and you'll be very pleased to know you're the first ever returning guest. Ah, so, so there he goes that something you know, sticky you can put on your wall or something like that, maybe. Um,
1: well, it, I'll, it'll, I'll, I'll show that proudly on my resume. <laughs>
0: um, so look, Bill, for anyone that didn't listen to the first episode, shame on them first and foremost. But second of <laughs> all, um, give the audience a very brief introduction, I guess, into you know your background and I guess journey to date, if you will.
1: Sure. So, um, I've been in the data. Space for forty-some years now. I think um, I've always been fascinated with the intersection of technology and business, which is, I think, why I've gotten even more passionate about really helping organizations understand the value of their data. I've done a lot of work in that space over the many, many years, and it was only within the last uh, seven or so years that I've sort of had the epiphany moment that helped me to really start to quantify that. So, but at my heart. I'm a teacher. I, I love teaching. Um, I, I, I do teach at several universities, um, and even when I work with customers, I'm, I I think of my job. The reason why I'm here is to help them. I'm a teacher at heart, and I get all my energy from working with customers and working with students because they're that's where all the cool stuff is happening. So put me right there. The focus of that, and, and I'm a I'm a happy man.
0: Nice. So obviously you've. Um ended up back at Dell Technologies. You've done a previous stint there. Just talk us through what the, the new gig entails, like where you're sitting within the organization, I guess what you're ultimately trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, so we're in the office of the CTO right now, and we're trying to understand what role Dell should be playing in the world of data management. Um, given that we're you know, a large infrastructure company, with lots of software capabilities scattered across the organization, given that all of our customers deal with data, right? Whether you store it or process it through our storage or our servers, there's there's this conversation about what are, what is Dell's role in that space? And I know that I I get in some executive conversations and they'll ask, well, what is our right to play in this space? And I'll say, well, it's not a right to play. It's an obligation to play. Because I think our customers are very much struggling. They're struggling to you know, unleash the business value of their data. And we need to help guide our customers from just storing and, anal- you know, just storing data is not enough, right? And, but it's even more than just, you know, parsing it and analyzing it. we got to make sure that they're, we put in place, a, you know, an infrastructure, products and such that really help drive customers' ability to monetize or term get value from their data. Hmm. So that that brought me back. I had, like you mentioned before, I'd been at, at EMC for I think five, six, seven years um, as their CTO of their big data practice, so very heavily involved with with customers and sales teams and helping customers try to get value from big data. I did a very interesting and, and very fruitful um, sort of segue over to Atachi Vantara for two or three years, where I built out a data science practice. We built out you know data, uh, you know ML and AI assets and. It just seems like it's the natural progress, you know, progression for Bill Schmarzo, who, by the way, at this age in my life, I ain't got time for green bananas. So <laughs> this is good.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fine. Um, so I guess what I'm keen to understand, Bill, because obviously in that time of when you left Atachi Vantara right, you were you were here, there and everywhere, you know, content coming out of your ears and, and really focused on trying to help the data analytics community understand a little bit more around the you know the economics of data and how we can start to put tangible figures on the value that data has and how organizations can do that and i know obviously we um we spoke about the whole chief data monetization officer role and that persona that you think you know needed to be within organizations and and that was something that you were kind of targeting how did you manage to convince delta take you back and let you practice what you'd been preaching
1: the time I spent you know and before I joined Dell really talking to a lot of different customers and and vendors I was a free agent so I could talk to a lot of different people and and people were very open and honest with me and I realized that this this term data monetization was really confusing people and, and in fact, the average person, average company you talk to, you would say, "You know, what's your data monetization strategy?" They said, "Well, we're having a hard time selling our data because this and sell that. <laughs> it, it." It was really this. I realized that that I was I had a different definition of data monetization, and I was trying to. And I had conversations. They had their definition. I had my definition, and it went like this: right, we weren't connected at all, and so I, I realized that part of what I needed to do is I needed to have a, a sort of reframe the conversation differently. I needed to talk about, you know, how are you applying data and analytics to drive quantifiable benefits? And I, I, I used to say financial benefits, but I've, but I've backed off to say more economic and we can talk about why, what's the difference between financial and economic, but that's when I realized that the, the challenge was very fundamental that I was not being, as successful as I hoped I'd be in trying to help motivate and guide organizations this way. And then when Dell came along and said, we are going to do this, right. That, you know, Michael Dell has, uh, you know, he had a presentation a slide at the analyst that said, we're going to use you no know, data managements about helping customers unleash the business value of their data. I'm like, I'm all in, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. So big voice with a big presence um, and, and a, both large and small organizations, it's just seemed like this was a great chance for me to really help take this big presence and, and how do we guide this shift so that we're you know we're not just sitting holding the data, but we're actually working closely with the customer to figure out what's the value in that data, which by the way, that starts to change all the conversations you have when you start to, you stop talking about managing data, and you start talking about quote unquote monetizing data, The conversation changes dramatically, who you talk to, what the areas of interest are, how you focus the project, where you begin the project, where you begin the, it all changes, which is freaking great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess give us a a quick recap from episode, uh, from the episode in season one around, you know, your, the concepts of the chief data monetization officer, you know, why were you so hell bent on organizations need to have this?
1: Yeah, I was, I was. And I think the industry has made this transition. I just read a report that over 50% of chief data officers no longer report to the CIO. They report to somebody in the business. And, And the reason why that's happened is because the business is trying to figure out how do we get value out of our data. So to a certain extent, it's happened. The chief data officer has become the chief data monetization officer. Because I think for a long time, the chief data officer reported to the CIO. The chief information officer. And consequently, the chief data officer's focus was on technology. By separating those two, you still need a CIO who's running the you know the, the business, understanding the infrastructure and the technology, but you needed somebody who was focused on the business. And I had a chance to meet a couple of chief data officers, in particular, a couple of chief data analytic officers, where they brought these roles together. And these people they talk about how do we drive value to the business. So maybe to a certain extent, my term chief data monetization officer became redundant because the chief data officer has become that person to whom the senior executives look to fit help to help them understand how do we get value out of our data. And so, Kyle, the big part is that a lot of the conversations have switched from how do we sell our data to how do we get value from it? And that's a major change, a major transformation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it, that, that's been quite evident in in our field as well you know because i think if you you know quite notorious you know i guess running joke really around the 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 bafflement of some job descriptions right you know uh, they're looking for a chief data analytics officer and they talk all things strategic and commercial and value monetization and then you know right beneath it says you know you need to have 15 years Python coding experience (laughs) so you know they're they're two different personas and I think organizations now have started to realize okay we've kind of got this whole technical product solution the technical piece we've kind of we've figured that out we're pretty good at that yeah Yeah. now organizations want to know okay so what you know how, how now do we go and get value out of this X amount of millions of pounds or dollars or euros or whatever the case may be that we've invested to build those platforms and and yada yada yada. So so that makes sense, I, I guess.
1: Before you leave that point, I I, th- yeah. I think what's interesting. I talk to people about well, what's the you know what are the characteristics or background of a chief data officer? I said economics, not technology. You already have a CIO and probably a CTO who's all focused on technology. No you need you need to have somebody who is focused in on 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 economics. So here's how I tell my students, I give them a little quiz. I said Google in May of 2002 made probably their single most important hire who totally transformed their business model. Who was that hire? Hal Varian, who was hired as their chief economist. They hired a chief economist in 2002. Who basically took an economics approach to how they structured their business? He re-engineered their business model, and it was all—they didn't hire a chief accountant, they didn't hire a chief, you know, a chief data scientist. They already probably had a bunch of those, but they really looked at somebody who looked at this from an economics perspective. And that's why I think, you know, Google is the poster child for organizations that know how to monetize data, how to drive value out of data. And they early in their career they realized this is an economics conversation more than it is a technology conversation
0: absolutely out of interest then how did those conversations go when you were speaking with organizations because i think there's still you know a, a large majority as we've discussed in in the first season right a large majority of businesses kind of probably felt a, a lot of peer pressure a lot of obligation to be seen to be doing stuff with data and that that led them to maybe approach this in the wrong way you know it it was a it was a tools and people projects first so they went and bought the technology they went and built the team and then it was like right now now what so i imagine that you having conversations with organizations and saying look you know you need to think about this um, as an economics problem or strategy to some organizations might have just absolutely you know bent their their brain in two so to speak so um, how did that unfold
1: well, I, they, first off, they would look at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. <laughs> I mean, who's more boring than an economist? Well, I guess an accountant <laughs> would be, but right, so you're thinking about, we're going to have to go get a boring old economist and put him in here? Um, I, I think there was this, you're spot on that what the first thing they all did is they all went out and hired a whole bunch of data scientists, right? That's, we got to have a whole bunch of data scientists. And so there's bidding war with data scientists. If you knew how to code in Python, you were a data scientist, whether you were or not, right? So they went out and they... They hired all these data scientists, and they went out and they, and they went through a very lengthy discussion, probably probably with a big systems integrator or a consultant to figure out what tools should we have. And they evaluated all the different tools. They should look at all the different feature sets. And they, like I said, they came up with tools and people. And then they would walk up to these data scientists, and they would hand them a data set, and they would say, tell me what's valuable in the data. The data scientists would look at them and wouldn't even know where to start because what's valuable to you? Right. Yep. You hand me a data set, ask me what's most valuable. Well, how do you define value? Mm-hmm. Right. So it 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 eventually got back to the fact that that the tools and the people were were important. But if you didn't have the right frame, how you thought about this, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the whole conversation in this in this data science, AI, ML space starts by understanding how does an organization define how it creates value what are the KPIs and metrics against which they measure the success and progress of their value creation processes? If I don't know that, then I don't know what's of value in the data. There's all kinds of stuff in the data. Most of it's not interesting at all. So again, I, I think most organizations at first looked at me like I was crazy, but they then I get calls back. And I've, was inter- I've done a lot of 60-minute sessions where I talk about this. And a couple of Companies where I've done this, they now mandated all their senior executives read my latest book. They like they they they're they're changing. So maybe it's one one brick at a time, one little tiny brick at a time, one little Lego brick at a time that I'm making the change here. But the organizations starting to realize you're right. This is this is not about start with technology. It's about start with how do we create value. Which by the way, most organizations when you get down beyond the top two layers of an organization, they really don't know. You yeah. don't know what's going on, but how do we create value? So it if you understand how you create value, everything else seems to fall in place.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that makes um that makes perfect sense. Um I guess talk us through then the concept of the economics versus the accounting and the, you know, your kind of financial um yeah So, analogy. so let, let-
1: so let's, let's, two points here. I'll get back to the uh, financial versus economic. But let me talk to you first about the difference between an accounting asset valuation methodology and an economics asset valuation methodology, right? In an accounting, the value of an asset is determined by what you paid for it or what someone's willing to pay for it, right? So if I go out and buy a $30,000 car and an Uber driver buys a $30,000 car, from an accounting perspective the value is equal economics though is a so that's called we call that value in exchange the value is determined by how much you got in exchange economics is a value in use asset valuation process which is the value of an asset is determined by what value you can generate by using it so let's go back to that $30,000 car so from an economic perspective is that car worth $30,000 to me Heck no. Sits in my driveway. Harley gets used. It's really only a cost avoidance thing that I'll have to go take a bus or rent a taxi or get a taxi. Right. But Look at the Uber driver. Right. Is that car worth $30,000 to the Uber driver? It's worth a heck of a lot more. Right. They're they're using it to generate revenue. And when they're not driving it, they can lease it to other people to generate revenue. Right. So it's cars can be operating 24 hours a day. If we make that transformation from an accounting to an economic then what happens to the management team, instead of trying to worry about, well, how does this fit into our balance sheet? He's like, I don't care how it fits into the balance sheet. And it's somebody else's problem. You know, I think accounting county is a bunch of false stuff anyway. But you know, my, oh, my accounting friends now just are going to put that circle that's attached to it. But but we start talking about well, how can we use that data to drive value? You know, how how the, the whole use conversation starts. And so the beauty then is when you start talking about from an economic perspective. We have all these economic tools and techniques and methodologies and theorems that we could use. The one I think is most powerful is the economic multiplier effect. Now, think about a data set. I think we probably covered this in the last session, right? If I got the data set curated and put into a shareable location, that data set can be used. You know, never depletes. It never wears out. And that data set can be used across an unlimited number of use cases at zero marginal cost. So I can use my customer point of sales data integrated with my customer loyalty card. I can use that in in you know in uh, sales to improve promotional effectiveness. I can use it in marketing to improve cross sell. I can use it in in the call center to improve customer retention. I can use it in product development to create new products and new extent. And I get to reuse that data at zero marginal cost. And each one of those use cases has a sense of value. Re- the reducing customer attrition by two percent, which I can do using that data set. Has value. You well, know, the de- value depends on the organization. Is that 500,000? Is that 50 million? All these economic variables and factors out there, we can now start employing. And by the way, we discover new ones. I talk a lot about the my concept of nanoeconomics. Um, and what nanoeconomics is, I think a term I've come up with, which is about an economic theory at the of the individualized, whether it be human or entity, predicted um. Behavioral and performance propensities. So anyway, so there's an, we can talk about that later, but there's you start thinking about an economics perspective, you unleash a lot of creativity. Now, point two to your question. Understanding the impact from a financial perspective is, is good, right? I can do an ROI, blah, 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 all that good in us. But we're now in a world where people are looking more broadly at how we define value, right? Customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. Um Operational excellence, environmental, social diversity, right? There's there are a whole set of variables that organizations are being forced to to look at and address, which is great because this is what economics does. Economics is not just about financial; it's about all the other things as well. Which, by the way, if we're going to build AI models to optimize. We better make sure that we've got a full breadth of metrics against which we want its AI models to optimize. Otherwise, we will have terminators walking up and down the streets. Right? Terminator's only doing what its AI utility function tells it to do. It's not, it's not evil. It's just programmed wrong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, is that is that then how you started to change the conversation away from when we talked about monetization in terms of you know most organizations looked at that as okay we can get X amount by selling this data set or whatever whatever the case may be, right? Because um, I think in the industry now, we, we're, we're very well aware that there's more value to be had by using data, right? And using analytics to to drive value, right? Um, all of that type of stuff. But I guess it's the first time that anyone's said it in a way where the economics kind of barely my brain was like, okay, now that makes sense because you can sell data, you, you you get back what you sell what the right. Whereas using it, who knows, that can multiply, you can have it in any different business unit, yada yada, yada.
1: Yeah, that's that's the real that's that's the real muscle of data, right? The ability to reuse it and to re blend it across all these use cases. And organizations have a lot of use cases, right? The fact these projects don't fail because of lack of use cases, they fail because we have too many and we don't prioritize very well, but that's a different subject for a different time. But if we start thinking about this way, then I think organizations feel a, oh, we know what we need to do now, right? It doesn't mean it's any easier, but I think they were, they were and I got to tell you, there's still a lot of organizations, when I say the word data monetization, I get a whole tirade about, well, we're trying to sell our data and this, and I'm like, yes, some organizations do a great job of selling data. That's, you know, Good for them, right? The vast majority of organizations aren't going to make money selling data because here's the key. Here's a little secret: your data is more valuable to you than it is to them. If so, you know, keep that value for yourself and get it more, You know, and drive more value. I think organizations that sell data, I think they're lazy. I, a CDO whose job is to sell data—that's a—that's a lazy person's way to,
0: to look at this. So here's the next thing then, Bill. Is it possible to do both sides of that? monetization coin? I know the answer theoretically is yes, but I guess in terms of resource focus, actually getting more value out of using data as opposed to selling it whilst also trying to sell it probably is a lot more difficult than it is to talk about, right?
1: Well, I think selling data has a lot of hidden costs. I mean, Hmm. you you have to have, you know, a marketing group, sales group, a support group, to, to, to handle that. If you sell your data to somebody, they're gonna expect you to, if they have questions to fix it, you're gonna to have to give them updates on data. So now it becomes a line of business. There's all kinds of implied risks around privacy and such that all of a sudden you've you've walked right in and smack dab in the middle of that. I, I think the costs, especially looking at it from a GDPR kind of perspective of selling your data, I, I wouldn't go down that. I just think that's a, that's a very slippery slope. And I think in the use side, well, so we could certainly sell data. That's one of the monetization techniques, but there's two other monetization techniques that I think are better. And they really don't monetize data. They monetize the insights better than data. So the customer product and operational insights, these predicted behavioral and performance propensities. So one way to do that is to use those insights to optimize your internal processes, improve customer retention, improve marketing effectiveness, reduce unplanned downtime, right? Lots of great internal use cases. It's, it's free money. It is friggin' free money. You solve those problems, here's some money for you, right? It's just like, this is like the biggest no-brainer of all time. But there's a second thing you can do too. This is something that I'm starting to see more and more now, which is organizations taking all these insights and packaging them and selling the insights as a data product to their customers. We're starting to see that is starting to grow more and more. They're realizing, wow, well, we know a lot about the markets. We know a lot about operational efficiencies. We know a lot about these areas more than our customers do in some cases. I can package my, my insights, not as just raw data, but my I advocate for the fact that what you're, when you sell data products, you're selling decisions, right? I can help my customers make better decisions because I can give them better insights into trends and markets and competition and things like this. So to me, that's after you kind of, you've, you've feasted on the hog of all these internal use cases you can go after to monetize all the free money, Everything you're learning here now can be applied externally to create new products, which by the way, the new products provide more feedback to you, which provide more data that you can sell both use externally and internally. It's this great, you know, cycle of value creation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I know there's there's a few businesses out there doing that really, really well. Um, and you know, don't want to name them, but as an example, and this is just completely theoretical, but you know, out in the US, you know, you could have a a Dick's Sporting Goods, for example, that's selling and packaging their insights back to Nike, back to Adidas, so they can then make business decisions about, okay, you know, that type of sneaker doesn't do well in that region. So let's pull that, let's go with something else, et cetera, et cetera, right? Which that's exactly what you're talking about there, right?
1: Perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy. I think in, in all those B2B kind of spaces, whether it be you know, retail to consumer good or in financial service. I mean, it's, they're everywhere. And I think, again, we're starting to see organizations start, little light bulbs starting to pop off. People say, wow, we have all these insights. Now it's okay. the the easy, the free money, the, the, the free beer is by doing it internally, which by the way, gives you a chance to, to perfect the data and the analytics, using it internally, using your own internal organization as a guinea pig while you're printing money. But then to go externalist creates, you know, not only do you create money, but you create this very strong linkage, this bond. Because as you said in your example, you know, Dix is helping Nike and Adidas and other places to, you know, optimize their inventory, optimize their their product development processes. They're helping to optimize their marketing campaigns, and now they're helping them to spend their money more effectively. And now they've got a really strong relationship. It's more than just based on you're going to sell your products. You have a relationship. It's more strategic. You're going to help me. Oh, it's it, you know, it just
0: It's
1: the whole world explodes. You start, you start doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you're still in, in that, in that scenario, you, you're then effectively getting the best of both worlds, right? Because you you have to work on this internally to get to the point of having those insights, so that can still be used to drive better decisions internally. You know, reduce, um, you know, risk, reduce costs, operational efficiencies, improve sales. You know, we can still do all of that. And then once you've got the insight, you can package them up and you know, if you've got partnership agreements, you can then sell that too. So it's double bubble, as it were.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's free beer on the internal side, (laughs) right? Which is always the best kind of beer is free beer. But externally, now you start moving from, think about data products become data products as a service, right? And so maybe you, you see Dick's moving into a world where their customers are, they want, you know, sneakers as a service. And they want, you know, they want to be, you know, depending on how much you work out and such, you know, if you run a lot, you're supposed to replace your shoes every six months. And so, you know, can they put a place of service, that tracks how much you run, you know, that maybe even measures how much wear is on your shoe. And you, know, you take a picture of the bottom of your shoe and they calculate and they and you get a new shoe when you need a new shoe, right? And they there's a, just a ton of new customer-centric services that can be provided once we start thinking about taking the insights, not the data, but the insights we've learned and start using that to provide new new products and new services.
0: Yeah. How how is this going to unfold? Because one of the problems. In my opinion, with our industry, is that there's no set standards in terms of terminology and language and all of that stuff, right? So, and I guess that's why we run into these types of debates and these problems. So, you know, insight monetization is is that is that your concepts and that is that kind of what you're pushing to try and differentiate. Yeah. Talk us yeah. through how you landed on that.
1: Yeah, so it it was actually in my in my big data business all maturity index. When you looked at it, phase four was the monetization phase, but it had transitioned to insights, you know, probably a couple of years ago, because whenever I use the term data monetization, people always thought, oh, sell data. But when you start talking about insights, it becomes more, more obvious. And actually, the the term the use of the term insights monetization really started when I was at Yahoo, which was many, many zoom many, many moons ago, moons ago, when we were basically trying to Sell decisions to our customers as a service, right? We had all these insights about the market, which audience responded to what sort of ads, on what sites, what time of day, and we saw that our opportunity for working with our advertisers and the agencies wasn't to sell them data, but to sell them decisions about what ad to show to who, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about, you know, the insights, leveraging and monetizing the the insights, and so that's that's kind of stuck with me. I do I do kind of champion this idea of it's insights monetization, and By the way, you you are spot on. Let's talk about terminology for a second. Because I because we we the technology industry should fire all of its marketing people. Okay. Because it seems like marketing's job is to come up with a new term just to confuse people. So we go from data marts to data lakes to to data where data marts to data warehouses, data lakes, data lake houses, data fabrics, data mesh, data mess, right? We have all these. All these terms, and I, it's got to be marketing people who are behind the evil marketing people trying to think, well, let's think of a new term that I can create to confuse the market further. Because we come along, it's like we just figured out you know, what a data warehouse was, and here comes a data lake. Okay, well, it's a little different, but not too much different. And then, what, a data lake house? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's like, holy yeah. cow. It's like, all. Oh, our industry is doomed by marketing people. We got engineers building great products. We have marketing people whose jobs seem to be to confuse the market. <laughs> I've got some very good marketing friends who are gonna who are gonna you know, unfollow me on, on on Twitter and LinkedIn for saying this. But by golly, come on, folks! As you said, let's just solidify in a couple of common terminologies. that use the same words, and then when we're out there trying to solve these problems and we're talking between each other and with customers, we all start with a common base. Mm, but yeah God, we all use different words
0: yeah yeah it's uh we've had someone on the podcast before actually the the chief data officer for kpmg actually in, internally a lady a lady over here in the uk called Lynn Bailey who um she talked about the need for a a taxonomy basically within the data analytics industry and that was read by a, a conversation that, that she was having internally uh, talking about um i can't even remember what it was now but it was something to do with data governance and you know privacy yeah. thought they were dealing with it this the data office thought they were dealing with the, this part of the, the the sphere and they were talking about two different things because they you know terminology was meant, meant different things to different people so yeah that's always uh that's always <laughs> a tough one um so i guess obviously bill you, you had a lot of well, you had a fair amount of time out, and you were very active and content, and all that stuff between before you picked up your, your new gig at um, at Dell. Have you seen much difference in the industry as far as you know the ability or success that they've had in trying to monetize their data?
1: Yeah, I I think in the last twelve months or so, I I think the big thing for me has been the liberation of the chief data officer and, and, and moving them outside of the CIO, which, by the way, has introduced all kinds of other challenges. But you, that's been a major move. And I've, I've talked to more and more CDOs. I've done quite a few CDO workshops, and I was in my, in my uh, exploratory time there. And there is these CDOs certainly understand now more that their job is not worrying about the data technology and the data architecture. They're much more focused on how am I going to use my you know data management and data science and data engineering and feature engineering and how are we going to really drive quantifiable impact on the business. There, that's been a I, that's happened fast. To be honest with you, Kyle, I, I was I was surprised how in my conversations. You now, I'm also I'm very fortunate that I tend to talk to people who reach out to me who so people who reach out to me tend to already think like me. So I'm having conversations with people who. Are already in a sphere, uh, but I'm impressed how fast it's moved, which has caused all kinds of interesting angst. Um, because the CDO they have their own budgets versus the CIO, and so you you have this this line of demarcation between the two, which is not always entirely lined up, and they're and they're trying to figure each other out. The the CDO didn't come from the CIO organization. They came from outside the organization. And now they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we do this this dance? Because the CDO is clearly highly dependent on the CIO. And the CIO needs to look at the CDO as 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 a customer as well. So I, I think we're in the middle of that of that dance right now. And, and the song that people are going to dance to has not been finalized yet.
0: Mm, yeah, very interesting. I guess, do, do you think that the, you, you talk there about how quickly... That happened and you know how you've been impressed by how quickly that that kind of happened that that level of maturity do you think that's been driven by the fact that typically speaking organizations have struggled to put tangible value on their analytics projects and therefore you know there's been a real focus from business leaders to say well look we've invested x amount of millions of dollars here so we need we need to figure out actually what we're what we're getting back in return from this is that where that's driven from?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's what's happened is if you look at the at the maturation of the CDO, I think CDO 1.0 was a uh, CIO mini me that the CIO found somebody organization. I kind of like you. We got along really well. We play golf together. I'm gonna give you all the data architecture stuff. And didn't at all help in trying to help the business solve the problem. And so then they started to figure out well, we need to bring an ex an outsider in who understands who can has more of a business perspective, but they still reported the CIO. They were still, they were still dragged down by the gravity of the CIO. And now we see this separation. And the, you know, the CDO and the CDAO, which is now becoming more and more the same, smartly so, they have this charter of how do we get value from data. And so to me, it's it it took CDO 3.0, somebody brought in most likely from the outside, who has more of an economics and business background than a technology background. You don't So, you know, in this industry, success breeds success. It only takes a couple of success stories for organization to realize they. You see the success story. What's going on on these really good CDOs and CDAOs? They look at their CDO and go, "Oh shit, this isn't working. We need to back, We need to restart this." And it is. It's a combination of both the person you bring in and where they report in the organization. They have to be empowered. They have to have both the responsibility. And the accountability to drive that, they just can't have the responsibility without. I mean, they just can't have accountability without you know also all the things that go along with the empowerment of it. And so I think that's been a major transformation is is that 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 creation that separate role who is empowered and owns doing that. They are in essence they become the chief data monetization officer. They just never had to change their name. Yep.
0: Why, why is it, in your opinion, then, that still a lot of organizations are really struggling to kind of determine what that kind of um, what they're getting from this? You know, the, the, the whole ROI piece, putting a tangible metric on it from a monetization perspective, you know, in, when they when they use data for value. Well, why do you still think that that is a, a challenge? Because evidently it is because we're still constantly talking about this stuff. Right.
1: So I, I read a, a very interesting um, article on LinkedIn that talked about the last mile of the analytics marathon. It was a great graphic. I'm going to actually write a blog on this. because I think they summarize really interesting how to win that last mile. I think most organizations lose in the first mile. They don't get off to the right start. They they don't understand how the organization, they don't aren't able to articulate how the organization creates value. So I can figure out where and how data and analytics can help support that. So there's this whole value creation lack of understanding at the very front. And value creation of course is around use cases for the most part where use cases are great because most use cases have some sense of quantifiable value to it. And what organizations tend to do then is, is they tend to sort of say, well, you know I don't know where to start from a use case perspective, so let's just start. Oh what the hell does that mean right no you you have to you have to pick a place to start you have to go through a process and it's a hard process it's a process that requires you to bring a diverse set of stakeholders together to go through a process to identify validate value and prioritize the use cases you want to go after and then you you target one use case and you knock it down right and then you go to a second use case and then a third one but here's the beauty Kyle here's the beauty everything you built from a data analytics perspective from that first use case can be used at zero marginal cost in the second use case. And in the third use case, you, which what's happening is on a use case by use case basis, organizations are building out their data and analytic economic assets. Now, they're not just random data sets, but data that they know they that has attributable value to use cases. So this whole process starts on the business side trying to figure out what are the most important use cases and what are the KPIs and metrics against which we're going to measure progress and success. Now, this, this, by the way, I think is one of the reasons why we saw data lakes quickly turn into data swamps. You put a data lake, you throw all your data into it, right? Well, I, I had this meeting with a CIO. You'll love this, it's great. He was he was complaining to me, lamenting to me to the fact that his he had been, only been able to catalog 10% of his data, all this time and effort, resources, money spent, and he's only been able to catalog 10% of the data. I looked at him and I said, Well, if that 10% represents 90% of the value, you're probably in great shape. Do you know what your data is most valuable? And he couldn't answer that. He didn't know what data is most valuable because there's no way to determine the value of the data in isolation of the business. You have to collaborate with the business around these use cases, around these stakeholders to figure out, you know, how do we drive value and the use cases are going to be the source? Cause it's, it's a while the use case that we're going to apply those customer product and operational insights. It's, it's once you, once you win the first mile and then have a plan for winning the last mile, the stuff in the middle is very easy. By the way, I wrote a book on it. It's, it's a real easy book. I mean, if I could write a book on it, it's kind of, and I teach it in class and the students all get it. They all like, not nah, it's really easy. This stuff's easy. What's so hard about this, right? But if you win the first mile, and have a plan for winning the last mile you'll find that everything else in the middle sort of takes care of itself
0: yeah sort of yeah yeah absolutely I, mean, I think if you think about that logic though that makes sense as to why we're in this position because as we spoke about earlier most organizations probably started off quite poorly in that respect in terms of it was a you know maybe a rush of blood to the head and it was a, you know everyone's talking about analytics everyone's talking about data scientists you know quick let's go and hire a team right we need some new tools and shiny tech for them to play with and and then we'll figure out what we're going to do and by that point you know they're on the wrong course aren't they so yeah makes makes sense so bill i'm going to put you on the spot here is data monetization in terms of selling data is that easier to attribute a figure to than insight monetization
1: no I I I I think insights monetization is the is, is so easy, it's so easy, and here's why. When I talk to organizations, I say, "So tell me what your what your your strategic business initiatives or your key business initiatives are over the next twelve or eighteen months. You're trying to you know um, increase in same store sales. You're trying to improve customer attribution. You're trying ret- 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 retention. You're trying to reduce unplanned. I mean, every organization I've ever talked to pick up an annual report." Read the president's letter. They're full of all that you're trying to do. And then you'll say, oh, so you're trying to improve customer retention. Great. By how much? What's your goal? By what time frame? So you, you, you kind of start getting into, you know, how, how are you going to measure the that success of that? You say you're going to try to improve customer retention. What are the KPIs and metrics around which you're going to measure that? Now, the KPIs and metrics in me are the real gold because it's around the KPIs and metrics. If I can define a diverse enough set that I'm eventually going to apply my my AI and ML models to optimize. Everybody should know the KPIs against what you're going to measure, the organization or the, the initiative success. Now, whether that's sprinkled down through the organization or not, that's a different issue. But I think it's it's bones. It is, it is literally, Kyle, it's free beer. It is totally free beer if you start understanding about what is the organization and how do you create value? Hard conversation to have. From a data science perspective, because it requires you to have to step across the aisle and have a conversation with the business stakeholders and understand the KPIs against which you are going to measure success and progress.
0: I'm pretty sure we we could um, run up the world's longest podcast if we um, if we had time to do so. But um, basically, what I want to try and finish on is how is this journey for you then? unfolded where you're at right now, you know, you're getting the chance to effectively put your money where your mouth is, which as you've said is, has kind of been a a natural progression through that time as well, which has been great to see, but how's that journey going for you? You know, what what are you getting involved in that's allowing you to, you know, show Dell Technologies, how you're helping them get value from their insights?
1: So I, I think a couple of things, Kyle, has happened here. One is I've had frameworks for how to do this. And I've been very fortunate that I've had a lot of great customers I've worked with that I've used to, you know, enhance tests, improve the frameworks. Can I put those frameworks in the products? Right? Can I actually productize them? It's also given me a chance to basically attack. Yes, that's the word I want to use. Attack the concept of data management. I think data management is is as we have traditionally have defined it, has been, um, sorry, has been, um, it's not big enough. It isn't just about data, managing the data. It's about how do I get value? So to me, when I think about, I think about a life cycle of how I create value, you know, data management's there, but it's data management with a very focused purpose and not data management in in of itself. To me, data management is about supporting the data science process. So I think about Data management and data engineering supporting data science and feature engineering to find those variables and metrics that might be better predictors of performance that really drive the business management business innovation around value engineering. So to me, if I if I think more holistic about this, if I say it's not, you know, having data management, having data governance in and of itself isn't useful if I don't understand how value is created, right? So the value creation part of the business management. And my data science process isn't can't be effective if I haven't thought through how that's going to be used to drive value. And by the way, now I have a feature for understanding what's most important in data management. So I don't need to have 100% of my data cataloged, right? I need to have that data as most valuable. And I certainly don't need to catalog it all at once. I don't need to, you know, so I now I can prioritize. I can drive the process and I can know which of these features are most important and which features are not important. Because we have we have we have feature overrun, people building products because it sounds cool to do. People buying them because they think they've been you no know, they've been sold something wrong. We have a chance to change that. So I, it's on me, Kyle. It truly is on me that I now have a chance to. Like you said put my money where my mouth is. Can we actually build a product and an ecosystem and in a in a, a capability around a framework that's really starts with how do we basically unleash the economic value of data? That happens, then I'm ready to retire. Until then, (laughs) still going to (laughs) fight.
0: Well, Bill, look, it's been, as always, an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for coming on the show for a a second time. And um, look, really, uh, really keen to kind of see how, um, how your journey unfolds and look forward to staying in touch.
1: We, we should have a third third one in a year or so. You can say, well, Marzo, how have you done so far? Do I look all gray and haggard? You'll say, oh, not going very well, huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, That's a uh, pleasure having you on. Love speaking to you, and uh, we'll chat soon, all right? Thanks, Kyle.
1: Thanks very Don't much. it been Bye-bye. a great time, as always.
0: That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then... Please follow our group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. (laughs) Bump, (laughs)